Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. How do we help the homeless without causing harm? Should we buy them a car, give them food, buy them groceries? What do we do to find ways to truly express the compassion and love of Christ to make a difference without causing them to become dependent on us or actually making their situation worse in the long run? I'm excited to talk to you about this today. It's something I've faced in India and Nepal when I worked with homeless people in bus stations and at the railway stations. It's not an easy thing, but it's definitely something that I've got some wisdom to share from the Word of God and from my personal experience with you today. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Are frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. First off, I just want to say that this is a bit of a contextual issue. So there are certain aspects to um, giving an answer to this question that are uh, quite different in different nations of the world and different contexts. So uh, whatever I share, I'm going to try to share some principles, but you need to apply those principles to your own context and, uh, you know, take the principle. And if I say something that's kind of specific that maybe worked in India or worked in a different location from where you're at, feel free to throw that out, right? And um, as always, you know, you you can uh, do what you feel the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, of course, but I hope to provide some principles that can guide you. So uh, let's just dive right in. Um, Again, the question that was asked is, how do you help the homeless without bringing harm? And how do you make disciples among homeless people? Uh, The person who shared it, her name's Crystal, and Crystal was asking from the United States specifically about, uh, is it okay to, um, to give them a car or buy them a car? Right. And so, well, Crystal, in the United States, uh, giving someone a car is not as big a thing as it would be in a country like Pakistan or Ghana or places that, uh, you know, other parts of the world, Um, especially if it's maybe a used car that no one's using anymore and you're able to provide them with transportation. 
Um, so yeah, we just need to acknowledge that again, it's different in different places, but I think in order to answer that question, and I'm not going to answer it directly, but I want to answer it with some principles. Uh, first, it's important for all of us to understand that there is a difference between relief and development. Okay. There's a difference between relief and development. And when it is a situation where relief is called for, and in that, I mean, it is a temporary crisis that was not caused by anything that they did. Say, for example, there is a war going on or there is an earthquake that happens. There is a tsunami that takes place. Uh, there is a hurricane, as we have in the United States, and they've lost their home and they've lost everything, you know, and they have nothing. They don't have food to eat. They don't have shelter. In those situations, my friends, we definitely need to give and give generously and give assistance. We may need to give blankets, shelter, food and water, whatever is needed in that context. It is a crisis and relief is needed. And uh, we want to access relationships with anyone we have. You know, if you have international relationships, that's when bringing in international funds to help in a time of severe crisis um, a temporary crisis is very much appropriate and needed. And we see that in scripture, right? We see Paul asking during the famine that had hit and um, asking the churches to give to the other churches who were in crisis. There was a relief situation. So in a situation of relief, bringing in outside funds and bringing in funds, uh, raising funds from within and from without is completely appropriate. But what happens is many times something begins with relief and then the crisis is over and uh, the, the money continues to flow in and it continues to provide for those people. And then what can happen is they can become dependent on those relief funds. And then you create a dependency relationship, which is not helpful and can be harmful. So the first principle that I would have for you is discern the difference between is this a relief situation or is this a development situation? Do they need development? Do they need help so that they can find ways to solve their own problems and they can find ways to uh, get off the street? They can find ways to get a job. They can find ways to uh, move into a better situation for themselves and even for that community. Sometimes in, in India, we had whole communities of homeless people that were living. Most of the time they lived by the rail, rail tracks because that land was not uh, owned by anybody. So they would build a little temporary shelter or a little bamboo structure there uh, in unowned land by the railroad tracks, or they would build um, by the riverside, right? And one of the slum communities that we worked in was, was right there on the riverside. So uh, you want to, to assess that. Right. Um, but let's look at uh, chronic poverty issues. So when there are chronic poverty issues um, and again, going back to Crystal's question, should I buy this guy a car? Uh, you need to discern, is it a chronic poverty issue uh, individually or it could be a chronic poverty issue in the society there? So if it is a chronic poverty issue and by chronic, I mean, it has it is a long term right? It's ongoing. This person is not someone who um, is only been on the street 
for you know a week or two and suddenly is on the street because of some you know crisis where it's a temporary relief situation that you're trying to help them out of but it's a chronic situation uh which of course mark addiction and mental disorders would be chronic with chronic situations you want to assess the needs and assets that this person has right assess the needs and the assets um, and you want to do that for the individual, but really you want to do that for the community that they are in. If you want to bring a long-term solution to really help them in a sustainable way, you want to look at what are the needs that they have that they feel are their biggest need. Now, you may look at them and think, wow, this person needs a place to live. But for them, they may feel that their biggest need is to be able to contact their child in another state, right? Who, um, you know, so find out what are their needs in their perspective, right? And do an, an assessment of needs. Uh, what are their felt needs? And then help them to look at what are the resources or the assets that they have already in their own community. And many times what we did with the poor in India and with the homeless and those that were struggling was we connected them to local resources that were already there, but that they did not know how to access. And I'll tell you a story about that in another moment. But you want to help them to make a, an assessment of, okay, what do you have? And we, we hear Jesus doing that, right, with his disciples when there was this crisis, right? And he's getting ready to, uh, he's speaking and there's thousands of people and they're all hungry. What does he do? He says to the disciples, what do you have? And bring it to me, right? And they assess their situation. They said, all we've got is these five loaves and two fish, but this is what we have. And then those assets, if you want to call them that, in the hands of Jesus became more than enough to feed them and to feed the multitudes. So assess the needs and the assets together with them and help them to, to think about what they actually do have that they could use with, with the help of God and with supernatural help to see those things become enough for their needs to be met. So I hope this is making sense. It's a, you know, trying to answer a huge question in a short amount of time, but um, that's something that you can think about. As with everything, when we're talking about disciple making and the multiplication of disciples, we look to scripture, right? I can give you lots of stories and things from my own experience, but I don't want you to look to me. I want us to look to Jesus and especially Jesus and the Apostle Paul. And how did they deal with these kinds of situations? How did they help those that they came across who were poor, who were homeless, and we see that Jesus, there's some examples of Jesus with the man at the pool of Siloam. What did he do? And um, we look at Paul with the woman who was um, found, uh, you know, who was crying out after him. We'll talk about that and what he did with her. She was a trafficked woman. How did Jesus and Paul help these people? Well, the first thing I see Jesus doing, and this is something that has helped me so much as I help with the homeless, is he acknowledged them. He acknowledged them and he engaged with them as people. 
He acknowledged them. And uh, we see the man who was blind crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He looks at them. He looks at them and he says, what do you want me to do for you? And he acknowledges who they are as a person. You know, when I was working in India, so many times I would just look at beggars on the street and I would see them not as people, but as beggars. They were in a category in my mind. These are the homeless people. These are beggars. These are the unemployed. And I would see them as a category rather than acknowledging them as an individual and engaging with them as a person. And the Holy Spirit really spoke to me from Jesus's example and said, Cindy, before you do anything, before you give them anything to make yourself feel better and make them go away, that's just super strong honesty from me of what sometimes I felt inside. Jesus said, acknowledge them as a person and engage with them. And so I began to do that. I began to say, okay, Jesus, when somebody asks me for food or someone begs from me on the street, I am going to look them in the eye with your help. And I'm going to greet them with namaste, which is what we said in India. And I'm going to ask them, what is your name? And I'm going to have a conversation with them as a person. And I found that that changed everything in the relationship because no longer was it a transactional, this is the rich white person or this is that person who can help me and I'm the beggar and we became people. I was a person who had a life and a family and friends and they were a person. We started engaging person to person and we see Jesus doing this and this has been a huge key for me, engaging with them as a person, uh, building, even if it's just for a few moments, a genuine conversation because what are you doing? You are giving them dignity. You are acknowledging their humanity as a person who God created, Created in the image of God, this person standing before you, they have a life. They were born somewhere. They have children, maybe. They have a wife. Maybe they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They are somebody who someone in the world, you know, loves. And, you know, they're, they're a real person. So acknowledge their humanity, number one. The second thing we see Jesus doing is he engaged with them, not only physically, but he engaged with them spiritually. And I find often we, we kind of get these backwards, right? We, we're willing to engage with people physically. And, you know, I'll be honest, sometimes for a lot of us, it's easier for us to give them $5 than it is for us to, to talk to them for a while and actually share the good news of Jesus with them and pray for healing in their life and minister to their their brokenness, minister to their pain, minister to their situation. That takes a much bigger demand on us, right? And it's easier for us to give them a few coins and to do that. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't give anyone money. We see no example of that in scripture. But we, we see that Jesus, you know, he's not against that. Um, you know, we see that he acknowledged those who did that and things, you know, we won't go into that too much more. But, but Jesus gave them himself and he gave them, um, he ministered to their spiritual need. Right. And so uh, many times, you know, there's demonic involvement, there's unforgiveness, there's lots of things that need engagement. So we want to 
uh, acknowledge them as a person and then engage with them spiritually. Jesus, um, with the man who was born blind, he said, your sins are forgiven. He ministered to his need for forgiveness, right? And ministered into that. And then the healing of his eyes came alongside that and along with that. So minister to their spiritual needs, minister to their physical needs. If they need healing, you know, we have helped people. We've taken them to the hospital and, uh, you know, paid for them to see a doctor the first time or to uh, the other thing. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier is you maybe are more educated than them, or maybe you have more resources and connections than they do. Connect them to find out what resources are available to this person in the community and then connect them to those resources. Help them find out what they are. Help them get connected. Maybe you're going to take them somewhere to that place where those resources are available and connect them to that social worker who can help them. They don't know how to find those resources. You find the resource for them and connect them to it. Many, many times in India, we found that resources were available. Here's an example. You can, you can advocate for them. There's a woman in India that um, had 11 children right? She was, she was from a Muslim family. She had 11 children and she did not want to have more children, <laughs> but, you know, and, and she couldn't feed all those children. You know, her husband worked as a little toy seller on the street, little, little street toys. I went with her. I took her to the hospital. I found out about the government program that would actually pay her money to have an operation so that she wouldn't have more children. I helped her get the appointment. I helped her get uh, into the government hospital so she could have that. When the nurse stole her money, I went and advocated for her with the director of the hospital and reported the nurse who stole her money that was supposed to be due to her. So we entered into an advocacy relationship helping them to get the resources that the government of India was actually already providing for them. Um, but I didn't give money to pay for the operation, right? I could have done that, but I couldn't do that for thousands of people. I could only, you know, and so I wanted to show that there are resources, there are assets available for you. Here's how you connect to them. Now you go and tell the other people in this community about these resources and how to access them. And in that way, I was doing the proverbial teaching them how to fish rather than giving them fish, right? I was showing them how to resource these things. So um, again, deal with uh, spiritual needs. We see the example of Paul in the New Testament with this trafficked woman who's running around after them shouting, these are sons of the most high God. And he turns to the woman and he casts out the demon and he deals with her spiritual need, right? And he helps her to be set free. Praise be to God that he is the one who sets us free. He is the one who can heal our brokenness. Many mental disorders are caused because of pain and hurt in people's lives and right? And helping people come out of addiction issues, um, helping people be healed in areas of depression or um, psychotic breakdowns or schizophrenia. These are not easy issues. And I am personally very challenged by this, but I would just say to all of us who are listening, we must take up this challenge as the body of Christ in the world to love people 
in their brokenness, to love those who have mental health issues, to love them back to life, to pray them back to life, those who are struggling with addictions. We cannot look for easy solutions. We have to be willing to be the body of Christ. But I would say that the best way to see people set free and from my own from my own experience areas where i have struggled in in addictive behavior how did i get free i needed a community of people who i knew loved me that i could be real and honest with and i could share with when i failed and they ministered to me and have helped me come out of things i've struggled with in my life we need the body of christ excuse me, we need to be the body of Christ to one another. One more thing that I want to mention is um, you can make disciples among the homeless without bringing them all into a rehab center or bringing them all into a place that you build a building and provide for them. And uh, you want to make disciples, introduce them to Jesus and even while they're still living on the streets, encourage them to pass on that message to others. And in in Siliguri, where we lived in India, we actually started a group for homeless people right beside the railroad tracks. We started one in a bus station where people were sleeping in the bus station because that's the only place where they could find shelter from the rain. We started one right there and gathered them together. And we started doing discovery Bible study because my friend, more than they need blankets and houses and medicine, and they need Jesus. Jesus is the answer. You are not the answer. Jesus and his word is the answer. And we know that up here, but we've got to know it in the way that we operate and what we do in our lives as well. So introduce them to Jesus, get a discovery Bible study started among them, teach them how to learn from the word of God themselves and encounter it and begin to obey it um, in simple ways. Now their applications may be very different from what you want them to say their applications would be when you read a passage of scripture with them, but let the Holy Spirit begin to work in their lives. Jesus is able to transform homeless people. And as you look at, as you connect them to those assets, as you connect them to those things that are available and even assets they may have within themselves, like someone might tell you, you know, I, you, you say, what, what can you do? And they say, well, I'm a, I guess I can sing, you know, well, maybe you can help them to connect using those gifts and skills they have into some sort of way to earn income for themselves. And they begin to move out of the streets and into a better situation. Uh, maybe you can leverage a relationship you have with someone, an employer who could give them a chance, right, to, to have a job or something like that. Again, the greatest gift that you can give is the gift of dignity. And by acknowledging their humanity and acknowledging they are a real person, that you care about them, that God cares about them, and introducing them to the love and forgiveness and healing power of Jesus, it is the best gift that we can give. And we should not be shy in giving it, um, you know, because we're afraid um, or we don't know how. A lot of people don't know how. They don't know how to share the gospel, or they're afraid to commit more long-term. And, you know, it is a commitment to work with the homeless. It is a commitment. But what I found, again, working in India was I might not be able to build a long-term relationship with every beggar who approached me, but I could look them in the eye and acknowledge them and say, hi there, 
what's your name? Yeah, do you live here? Um, yeah, how long have you been in this town? Tell me, where did you originally come from? I can have a short conversation and often I find the begging stopped and the real need of being loved and acknowledged by somebody and the love of God flowed out of me into them, even in that brief encounter. And I think it met a need that is maybe even greater than the, you know, 100 rupees I could have given them. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.